This episode of the Managing Major Podcast is brought to you by Intercontinental San Francisco Hotel. Their fine dining experience at Luce has just reopened. Savor California cuisine with hints of Latin American and European flavors at Luce. Chef Rogelio Garcia crafts exquisite dishes with seasonality and sustainability at the heart of his identity. Intercontinental is hosting the Managing Madrid podcast later in July. We are coming to San Fran for a preseason. We are also going to Las Vegas a couple days before for that game, and we're doing a podcast in both cities in person. So if you want to book your spot to our Vegas and San Francisco shows this month, make sure to click the link in the show notes and book your spot ASAP. Prices go up July 15th. That's in five days. And uh, we would love to see you. And we want you to be a part of the Maridista party that is happening in those two cities. So come out. Coming up is a really fun historical segment of the Management Your Podcast. We revisit Real Madrid's 2008-2009 season, give you all the background of the entire season so you can brush up on that part of Real Madrid's history. And specifically, we talk about uh, Real Madrid's 3-2 win over Athletic Club in October of that year. And basically, that was right before everything fell apart. But the game itself was really fun. Iguain was incredible that game. And we have so much to break down from that game and that season. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. So enjoy it. Kick back with your beverage of choice. And we're going to get started with Ray Hudson and Derek Ray. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Times ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1. Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website. Frustrate podcast as well. Of course, Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast on a Sunday night. We are hitting you back-to-back. Keon and Matt are here again. You're going to get sick of us because we're recording on Tuesday as well for our patrons. Tonight, we are doing a historical segment, and I don't know the exact date of our last historical segment, but it's been a long time. I think our last one was, uh, according to my notes, I could be wrong, It's it was against Partizan Belgrade, um, the game that featured Gento and Pacin, and Amancio, and it was uh, a long time ago, both uh, the game itself and also the podcast itself. So we're back, a long overdue historical segment. We are talking about Real Madrid versus Athletic Club de Bilbao from the 2008-2009 season at the Bernabeu in October, and Matt suggested to do this game, and I'm curious to know why. So we can start by asking Matt why he was inspired to choose this game in particular because it seems kind of random and my initial thought to it was, wow, this is a really random choice. So Matt, explain your thought process behind choosing this one. So there's a couple of reasons why. Um, One, I wanted to do a game from either this season or the season prior just because we, I feel like we hadn't touched on any of the um, Schuster era and kind of the Calderon era besides the 2006 season. We've done I think, maybe one or two games from there. But um, the 2007, 2008, I feel like is often kind of skipped over even in just in Real Madrid history. And we had some fun players. Like we had Robin, we had Vandervaard, Schneider, like all that Dutch contingent, Heinze. 
um, Gago, all these guys and young Iwain. So all these guys that, I mean, that's, that's kind of like, this is what I remember from my teenage years watching Real Madrid. And so like, I, I wanted to kind of go back and watch some of these games and see what I remember, what I didn't remember. And so how I picked this one was one I wanted besides like the crit- criteria I just listed, but um, I wanted a game which wasn't against Barcelona because I feel like we always do against Barcelona. And then two um, was a La Liga game, not a, not a big Champions League game. So I, I've i upgraded to like Footballia Premium because I think everybody should do that. It's literally 20 bucks a year and it keeps that site going and that site is literally a treasure. So please, anybody who's listening to this, it's 20 bucks. Like it's not a big deal. Like go and pay it and it... Keep that site around for as long as we can because it is just amazing to have that. Um, and so as part of a premium account, you can like put these filters on and see like like epic comebacks or good games or early goals or stuff like that. So I put filters on to see like kind of what were one of the better games. And this was one of them from that season. So that's how I picked this one. That's a great endorsement also for football. Yeah, I didn't know that. I'm going to I'm going to do that, too. Um it's a great idea. I think it's a, it's definitely a, a website that needs to stay alive. I think there was a period at some point, I think it was during the pandemic, where it actually was down for construction or renovation. There was some panic about um, not having it around. And I think just it was one of those moments where like, wow, if this is gone, it's one of those things you don't realize what you have until it's gone. It's a, it's an absolute treasure. It's, a, it's an absolute gold mine to be able to go back and watch games from the 50s and 60s and 70s and so forth. Um, is is a great privilege that we should not take for granted. So yeah, I would encourage everyone to do that, and I'm going to do that as well. So that's pretty cool that they have that filter as well. And I'm and I was thinking because as I was watching this game, and by the end of it, and also digesting the fact what this season was as a whole, which I think we can do to set it up as the background to this game. After this win, there wasn't much to cheer about in this season. Actually, it was just horrible in the grand scheme of things. You know, this was maybe just kind of one of a one random little victory before the collapse of the season. And certainly if you picked the Clasico from this season, it would be really torturous to watch because both of them were terrible for Real Madrid, which we can also talk about. Um, why don't we do the background stuff? And you're right about like the fun players. It's a, it's a really weird era of Real Madrid's history because it's right before we go and do that big 2009 summer and do that huge splash on Ronaldo, Kaka, Benzema, Chabi, Alonso, etc. And it still has some really good players that were part of that core moving forward, like the Pepe. I mean, Pepe is the main one, really. Um, you know, Robin and Schneider, you know, they obviously get phased out by then. Iguain was serviceable for a few years. I thought Iguain was awesome in this game. And Raul, on the end of his... Basically, Real Madrid career, he has this plus another year left. But really, you can see in this game that like, he's just not the same player that, from the historical games we're watching in 2002, 2001, 2000, etc. Um, it's just weird. It's a transition phase. And we have, you can, you can see what the dead wood is. You can see the players that maybe need to go and the ones that didn't really pan out. But you can also see there are just some good things brewing. And um, it probably just needed some tweaks. And it was about to head into this era where Barcelona were beginning a dynasty. So it's a, it's a very interesting period in Real Madrid history. Do you want to give a little bit of a background on the season itself before we get into the game? 
Yeah, um, I think you did a good job there. And I think um, it was a season where Schuster was coached to start start the year, but uh, he had just come off winning the league the first time we had won back-to-back leagues in I don't know how many years, but it was after Capello had been sacked in 2006, Schuster came in to bring in more aesthetically pleasing football. And he did do that, and we ended up winning the league again. And uh, it was actually a really successful season that 2007, uh, 2008 year. And then we start off this year, we didn't really make too many signings. It was more kind of bringing guys back, uh, like Ruben De La Red. I think Javi Garcia came back. I think Saviola may have been – no, I think we signed the summer before. But there weren't, there weren't really any big signings um, that year. It was kind of more just – keeping with this title winning team and make, keeping all those pieces together. Um, the season starts with Rude Venistor, I believe getting like a very serious injury and he's basically out for the whole season. And so, and that was almost kind of the beginning of the end of Rude's Real Madrid career. He ended up staying um, another season with Benzema, Raul, Higuain, Cristiano Ronaldo, all on the same team, which is like crazy to think about, but he really didn't have much of a Real Madrid career after that knee injury. Um, and it was it was a season where Schuster, I think, got fired early on, like in the fall, even before uh, the first Clásico of the season, I think. Juan de Ramos comes in, tries to change things up. It doesn't really work and just sputter, and it's a horrible, horrible season. And I think in this game, this specific match, as fun as it was and as like, there's a lot of great things we'll talk about. I think there were a lot of things where you're like, wow, it's like this comes off against athletic Bilbao and La Liga, but you come up against a really good team. This team will get torn apart. And that's exactly what ha- would happen to this team is they go up against Liverpool, get destroyed for nothing, should have been eight, nothing lose six, two to Barcelona. Like the, the, it was, the writing was on the wall for the team. You could see it. Yeah, um, and the the only things I have to add, so just to elaborate on the transfers, so um, that summer before, and keeping in mind, again, this was a back-to-back title-winning team, uh, which included the 4-1 win over Barcelona in the Paseo year. That was part of the back-to-back titles. Um, so they were in a decent spot heading into the season, and it just kind of coincided with the fact that some players got older. Some of the players that I think we had hoped would take a leap didn't. Gago is one of them. Um, Salgado, you know, someone like him, he was actually a, a right back that was very difficult to replace. And we didn't really get that replacement until Carvajal came along. You know, you talk about not being able to replace uh, the Makaleli void until Chabi Alonso eventually came. You know, the right back position was a, was definitely a void for us because we, we, ha- we tried a few things there. We tried the Cicinos. We tried, I think, Carlos Diogo at one point. Then we had Arbeloa come in. Carvajal was the one who finally gave us something at that right-back position. Um, So departures that summer before the season starts. Robinho goes to Man City. Baptista goes to Roma. Soldado goes to Getafe. Casano goes to Sampdoria. uh, And those are the main ones. Granero goes to Getafe. Pablo Garcia leaves, goes to Greece. Uh, Ezequiel Garay goes to Racing Santander. And obviously Ruben Delaire, as um, his career is over by that point, unfortunately, and then coming in the winter window, which I guess was after this game, right? Huntelar last, the double, the double whammy in the winter. Uh, and then Van der Vaart had just arrived that summer. That was like our big signing. And that was it. 
plus the ones you mentioned, like the Javi Garcias, etc. So, and the other the other thing I would add the context of the season. So, this game that we're covering today was in October. Pretty much like in the next month or so after this win, Ramj win this game three two over Athletic. Uh, there's a lot of injuries that come through, and there is the famous quote. Actually, it's it's funny because. Um, just not long ago, I think maybe a month ago or so, around the same time, I think you wrote about Ivan Helguera on the site for in, the, in your in your Monday musings. I did a quick podcast. It was a daily drop, maybe like 10, 15, 20 minutes or something. It was an excerpt from my book, and it was about Schuster and that season. And I and I mentioned that season around December when the classic about the company was rolling around. We were decimated by injuries, and Schuster has a famous quote, it's impossible to beat Barcelona in this situation, which is like he's not necessarily wrong, but you can't just say that. You can't be a maridista who believes fighting until the end and having honor and all this stuff and then say that publicly before the game has even started. And Ramos, uh, or sorry, and Raul, and I think one of the other players, can't remember who it was, uh, came out and like, didn't like publicly denounce that like no like we're Real Madrid we're gonna go and try to win that game and that game is is we're, we're going in there so banked up and then Schneider gets injured in the Camp Nou and then Miguel Palenka is one of the kids that comes on that like no one's ever heard of and no one ever heard of again after that game and it's just uh just a guy we'll never forget because it was like 10 seconds like who who's that guy and it's especially like that was 2000 eight so that was before like now like fans are knowledgeable we kind of like knew we know who the players in Castilla are or whoever that back then we didn't really have that democratized information and and that much coverage on Castilla or whatever so we didn't know anyway so and then we lose that game 2-0 only 2-0 somehow could have been much worse uh and then obviously what later ensues that season is the 6-2 and Liverpool 5-0 on aggregate over two legs Okay, so that's that's all I wanted to add in terms of the context of this season, and um, and I and I just remember I interviewed Juan de Ramos at at one point a few years ago, and he told me because he's the one who comes in for Schuster midseason, and he told me that the reality is that no one was competing with Barcelona. Like Ramos, like has like the poor Juan de Ramos kind of comes in, and he's like the guy who's will forever be attached to the 6-2 and the 4-0 to Liverpool and Barca. And really, there's nothing he could have done. You know, like, that. you know, he, he, he basically, they basically gave him a wheel that was already out of control. Like, there's nothing he could have done to, to steer it correctly. Um, all right. Can you give us a starting lineup for this particular game that we're covering? Yeah, so this is a fun starting lineup. Um, for Madrid, you have... 27-year-old Casillas in goal, 33-year-old Michel Salgado at right back. Uh, Sergio Ramos was on the bench for this one. I'm not sure why, but he usually would play right back, but uh, he was on the bench for this one. 25-year-old Pepe partnered with 30-year-old Gabriel Ainsa. Um, You had 20-year-old Marcelo at left back. Gago, Schneider, and Vandervaart in the midfield, so... Um, not much balance there, and we'll get into that. And then Robin um, interchanging with Iguain on the wings. So they were right and left wing. Uh, Iguain was only 20 years old in this match. And Raul, 31-year-old Raul, was up top. And then for just quickly for Athletic Bilbao, 
they had some names that I'm sure many people will recognize. Uh, Fernando Llorente, only 23 years old in this match, was up top. Uh, yesterday, the number 10, the famous number 10, was playing just behind Llorente. Uh, Ariola, the current Rio Cano coach, was um, their, their right back bombing down the line. Um, who else was in there? Echeverria. Kind of the Echeverria. Yeah, Echeverria. He was great in this one. Uh, and then Amor Bieta, of course, the the famous for famous for getting tons of red cards and violent tackles was also part of this athletic Bilbao squad. Yeah. Um, I thought, so this was interesting to me because kind of looking at some of the, the pieces and by the way, Amor Bieta got a red card in this game, literally too. Um, I, I guess some of the things that, you know, there's no way I'm really remembering off the top of my head, what happens in a game like this. So when I watched it, it's like watching it for the first time. It's, you know, I really had no recollection of it. Um, and I thought some of the things that surprised me, I don't know if surprised right were, but I at least thought were really interesting. I mean, maybe I just forgot how good Higuain was. Um, and also how versatile he was. You know, when I look at the lineup, I, I kind of expected Raul to be the link-up guy and dropping deep, but it was really Higuain doing so much dirty work in midfield, dropping deep trying to win the win the ball. He was everywhere, and he was just awesome. And he's so good at, like, getting on the end of crosses and getting himself into goal-scoring opportunities. I mean, he really was so mobile. Um, you know, he wasn't just, like, the traditional number nine that maybe maybe he developed into later in his career. But, like, you know, it's it's hard to remember now, but when he came over from River initially, he was kind of like a right attacking forward more than a striker, right? And so he was able to create chances and ultimately was criticized heavily for, for missing a lot of chances, but then was able to, to fix that and start to score goals. So that, that's something that, that caught me by surprise. And I actually thought Iguain was a standout player. Yeah, so uh, you brought this up nice and early because for me, if anything, this was the one thing that didn't surprise me because I was... I, I remember I was obsessed with Iguain. Like, I was the flag bearer for him because none of my friends watched La Liga and I would talk about him and rave about him. And um, I, I even got an Iguain Jer- Real Madrid jersey. Like, that's how much I liked him. And so um, I truly believe if he didn't get that herniated back disc surgery that he got um, – it was right when Mourinho came in at the start of the year. I think he would have been, he would have had an incredible career. Uh, would have been one, like he, he ended up being one of the best strikers in the world and for was a great striker in world football and had an incredible career, but I think he would have been even better. And I think he would have been this version you saw if he could have stayed fit and like just electric like he was today. Like this was him, this match was him this whole season. This is how he played every single game all season. He was by far and away our best player. Um, and I, I'll never forget the game where he scored four goals against Malaga and we won 4-3. And it was literally just Iguain put the team on his back and scoring ridiculous goals. And I think 20-year-old Iguain, like this was him at his best. And I, I just it makes me think what could have been if he didn't have that back surgery. Because I really, really think he was 
one of like had all the talent in the world to be one of the best strikers. Like he didn't even play striker in this match. Like you said, he played, he basically played left and right wing was everywhere. Linking up, driving, dribbling, shooting. He hit the crossbar. He scored two goals. Um, he took, when he hit the crossbar, he literally took the ball off Robin who was doing his like characteristic Robin cutting in from, uh, the right onto his left foot about to shoot. And Iwain just takes it right off him and hits the crossbar. It was and he was just great. I mean, he was great. And this was Iguain that whole year. Yeah. And he also, like, his dribbling was impressive to me. Like, his little shoulder drops, cuts cuts outside, cuts inside, cutbacks in the in the six-yard box to set up his teammates. His dribbling was really good. His shooting was, was I mean, that one-time shot that hit the bar. He had a few that were definitely wayward, but... He's just so good at getting on the ends of chances, the, the off-ball movement. And, and what was interesting to me also was that he was often kind of Gago's first vertical outlet. You know, he would show every time Gago had the ball. And and Athletic weren't pressuring Gago at all. And so they would basically let Gago have the ball, and then Iguain would show for him and give him something to hit. The, so the back injury that you speak of, he missed 26 games uh, over the course of, course of 122 days from November to March in the 2010-2011 season. I do wonder if that didn't happen where we, we, we would speak about him and what would have happened to Benzema in in, in some way. Because um, he was in front of Benzema at that point. So that first year Benzema came, it was Ronaldo and Higuain starting up front uh, for Pellegrini. And then even when Mourinho first came in, it was Ronaldo and Higuain. Higuain was the one up front. And it wasn't after that back surgery that things started to go downhill for him. What would you say is his best season? I'm looking at the stats now. 2009-2010, so the year after this, he scored 27 goals in La Liga. That's absurd. He was really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, these two seasons were, even the year in 2012, he was great. But I still don't think he was um, as just fit and electric as he is now. Like after that back surgery, I felt like he gained a little weight and just like wasn't the same in terms of his quickness and sharpness. Um, and like those, these years, 2009, 2008, the tail end of 2007, like he was just, he was so fun to watch. Here's one for you too that um, is interesting. So that, that, that year, um, 2009-2010, the year after. I think he was second in the league in scoring. Um, in the 2011-2012 season, first in all of the big five European leagues combined in non-penalty goals per 90. Um, he was just... There was definitely like a period where he was one of the most feared strikers in Europe. At Real Madrid. What He definitely was when he went to Napoli. He was insane in Napoli. Like from 2014 to 2016, that two-year range at Napoli, he was insane. But there was definitely periods at Real Madrid where he was very feared. And I remember this season in particular, I have one one Coulet friend that I haven't talked to in a few years, actually. But he was someone that I really respected, and, and uh, he was very knowledgeable. And, you know, I was always, I told him, I was like, I don't want to face you guys this year. I was really, really worried. Uh, but he would always say, like, you guys have Iguain. He's one of the most scary players to play against and because of him I I don't rule you guys out of anything 
that's the kind of player we're talking about. So it was just nice to see him. Like he's young here and he's doing so much. You could almost you could almost like see it in your brain that he has like a trajectory kind of like Raul where he comes in at first, he's over eager, he misses a bunch of chances, but then gets acclimated to the flow of the league and gets used to it and starts scoring goals. I mean, and again, because he was doing so much more than scoring in this game, it really just piqued my interest of like, wow, this is really, really impressive stuff from Iguain. Um, yeah, I mean, to put it into context, context, he's a year younger than Vinicius in this match. So uh, Vinicius was last season. So like, it shows you just how good he was and how much of a talent he was at, at just 20 years old. And he's often the one we bring up when we, when we, before last year, when everyone was saying, can Vinicius take the scoring leap? We always brought up Iguain as the guy who was like the example of someone who couldn't finish, but then started to finish at an insane clip. Um, the other one that stood out to me, because I had two standouts, positive standouts in this game. One was Iguain, and I had one for the back line too. So oh, I'm interested if this is the same as mine. Probably. I mean, but maybe not. Who 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 was yours? Yeah, he was awesome. I was really surprised. Playing at center back, yeah, which is I something not, he did sometimes. I, yeah, I did not remember. The thing that I didn't remember was how good he was playing out of the back and like playing line-breaking passes and progressing the team up the field. Like He would play dagger balls through multiple lines into the attacking midfielders or into Iguain or whoever it was, and I was like, what? I don't remember Heinzit doing this. Like it was like he was almost like Alaba. Like I, I just didn't expect it and didn't remember it. I actually almost wonder would he have been a better center back as a left back? Because a left back he was really good. Like defensively he was awesome and from a ball progression standpoint, but he wasn't like the guy like a Marcelo or Roberto Carlos who would like burn players in the final third. So I wonder uh, yeah. if like if he would have been a better solution at center back. There was that period where uh, I guess just before this, maybe 2006, 2007, where you had the Ramos, Pepe, Cannavaro, and Heinze backline, and it was so good defensively. Yeah. But I almost wonder, like in a pickle like this, sometimes you just discover things. And Heinze was really good in this game because he was like, he was reading every ball into the box. He was winning every 50-50 challenge. Like you said, the ball progression was on point. He had an incredible pass um, for the... Uh, go-ahead goal in the, in the Schneider goal, yeah. the 1-0. Yeah. So he was another standout for me. And then I have other players who stood out maybe for the wrong reasons, for lack of a better word, that I thought had a poor game. Um, but what is it? what do you think the natural kind of direction from, from here is? What is it that stood out to you? Um, maybe we kind of go with a little bit with the flow of the game. Um, and a guy flow the game and kind of like just player personnel. Um, Wesley Schneider nearly scored from halfway, uh, like in the matchup. And I thought he was, I thought he started the game well, like was good in the first half and then kind of faded in the second half. Um, but he had a lot of nice touches, was finding pockets of space. Uh, he and Ervar both were finding like, Good little pocket to space. Robin, uh, Iguain were doing the same. And it was just funny because I felt like this team saw why they were sliced open because they they played such high-risk, high-reward football. I felt like everybody was always looking to play a dagger through ball. And then if they lost it, like Bilbao was just conditioning counterattack. And like, yeah, okay, it, 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 if it 
doesn't come off, they're coming at you. But if it does come off, you can score a goal. And sure enough, like mo- a lot of the goals we scored kind of came off of that. Like even the disallowed um, Iguain goal early on came from just a dagger through ball. He does a beautiful um, kind of like backwards turn and then finishes it really nicely. So Iguain ended this match with two goals, a disallowed goal and a crossbar. Um, but Schneider, like the Schneider goal you mentioned was pretty early on. And Heinze, Heinze feeds it into him, dagger through ball. And he does a very similar turn to, to Iguain. What I liked about what Schneider did, though, was he turned with his right foot and then finished it, bullet finished with his left foot. And I forgot how ambidextrous he was. Like, he just, he had that ability to use both feet. Um, and he was good. He was solid in the beginning. Like I said, faded. And I think it just kind of took me by surprise, like, how often, like, Everybody, Gago, Vandervart, Robin, Schneider, even Heinze, they would all try like these dagger through balls to try and uh, beat Athletic Bilbao. And yeah, ultimately it led to a win, but it was a crazy 3-2 win with plenty of chances for both sides. Yeah, well, we definitely made the more chances. And I think, uh, you know, if the, the, the disallowed goal was incorrectly disallowed and because uh, it wasn't offside. There was another breakaway at the end where Guti comes in and plays a beautiful through ball. That wasn't offside. It was called offside. It would have been another breakaway. And then you had a questionable penalty call for Athletic's second goal. So I think in the grand scheme of things, Real Madrid definitely deserved to win this regardless. But definitely there were there were moments, like there are in any Real Madrid game that they dominate often, they will concede their chances on the break. One thing that did strike me is how bad Athletic's defense was. I mean... The fact that we had so many like breakaways or near breakaways or breakaways that were wrongly called offside, the high line was a mess for Athletic. We almost just had these players open to hit, and uh, even the Schneider. Like, so we we're still on the subject of Schneider. Um, the second goal, you know, was set up with a vertical pass from him to Vandervar too. We had a beautiful one-touch flick and gets it to Iguain. Iguain finishes it beautifully. Both of those finishes, the 1-0 and the 2-0 from Schneider and, and Iguain were, were perfect. I mean, the Schneider left-footed far post, like just that goal in general is one of my favorite goals in football. It's really hard to stop. And the Iguain goal was just a, a testament to, it was just a, an example of how clinical he can be. It was, a, it was a great finish. He didn't panic. He placed it. The goalkeeper had no idea where it was going because I think his line of sight was blocked by his own player. It was a great finish. But definitely the athletic defense was um, was all over the place for me. Um, what was your impression of kind of how the midfield function, you know, the Gago, Van der Vaart, Schneider trio? Yeah, so that's where I felt like you could easily see how Real Madrid fell apart in games later on in the season against better teams. And even in this game, there was just so much space between the three of them and Van der Vaart and Schneider wanted to venture forward and really just play as attacking midfielders, which is what they were being pigeonholed into a four, three, three system with a guy who should probably be in, in a, just a sound double pivot. Like, honestly, I think Gago, um, he gets a bad rep for his time at Real Madrid, but I think he's, he's a quality player and would have like if you put him Tuchel's Chelsea and you replace Jorginho with Gago, 
Like, I think people rave about Gago. He needs to be in the right system. He's not, like, athletic enough to be a lone pivot, especially in a midfield with Sharon Vandervaart where he has to run everywhere. Um, and so I think Gago got made to look worse than he really was because of uh, the Real Madrid era and the time he played in. But, like, if he were playing today and he were in, like, an actual system and could play in a double pivot with somebody, I think he'd be great. I think he'd be a solid player um, and would play for a top club in Europe. So, um, but, yeah, he was, he, like, Gaga was literally on an island most of the time. He's the lone defensive midfielder. He's not an athletic guy. He's not particularly fast. He's more of a deep-lying playmaker. He's, he's more of a Busquets. And so it's like leaving Busquets to just try and – chase and run after things and that's not going to be Busquets game and so um he was really left really left wanting and it was actually surprising to me though uh Vandervaart occasionally of the of the other two like number eights I guess you would call him Vandervaart would be the guy that would slide in as more of like a duck pivot to try and help um and would play the defense and somebody who surprised me quite a bit with how much he tracked back was Robin, I did not expect him to track back as much as he did. Um, and so, like, Real Madrid, eventually, they would just get players back and try and collect their shape after slowing down athletic bound transition. But you could see the holes. Like, the midfield was just so spread apart. Yeah, the um, – the the not that there was a press, but I think the initial line of defense was incredibly penetrable and permeable. And it didn't take much for Athletic to kind of just pass through a few players who were, weren't doing much behind the ball. And again, like players were left on an island and stuff like that. So uh, back on the Gago point, I think to me his passing wasn't good enough. One of the things that stood out to me... I liked that... his passing. I don't think his long-range passing is good, though. I think, to me, like, for example, this game in particular, for the amount of space that Athletic gave him, I thought he could have done much better. And when he was under pressure, some of his touches weren't that good. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just really scarred and harsh on Gago, but I, <laughs> I, I expected better from him in his Madrid career. And I think, um, like, part of... Unfairly, he was, he was always compared to Fernando Redondo because he came from Argentina. He played a similar posi- um, position. His hair bounced the way Redondo did. And he mm-hmm. was like the, the guy who was supposed to be elegant, right? And graceful on the ball. His tackling was great. I mean, he had the, he kind of had the Camavinga tackle where he can dispossess opponents who are like ahead of, like just ahead of him. But I think the overall, like, I don't think he had the true comfort on the ball and the leadership and the organizational ability of Redondo. And again, not that that's, that's like a fair barometer, but I just don't know if he had it. And again, like you've seen it so many times, like, as you said, we saw it later in the season. I mean, the one of the most painful things I've ever seen is him and Lasana Diara together, like just completely out of their depth in midfield against strong teams chasing shadows and not knowing what where they're supposed to be and what to do. I mean, it's it's one of those, I don't know, just, I'm not, I'm just not sure ultimately if he was good enough for Real Madrid. And that's yeah. kind of where I stand. No, that's this. fair. Um, yeah. I mean, injuries definitely took a on his career. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was, 
he was not he was not um he was not able to stay healthy for long periods i never really don't really remember his stint at roma though do you like how did he do there do we know he's just injured everywhere he went he just kept getting knee in, like the same acl knee injury i remember one game i watched for him when he was like uh, at the end of his career playing for argentina and they subbed him on and he got that same knee, like acl knee injury and he tried to just keep playing because he was just so upset that he got it again. Like he was just hobbling on the field and it was really depressing to watch. And that was just kind of the story of his career. Like played at Valencia, but people forget that. Like he played at Valencia, Roma, kind of bounced around random clubs. Yeah. And he's just been injured. He was basically injured the whole final part of his career. Maybe I'm also just there's a couple more things I'm scarred about because it, our midfield in general from 2003 really till 2000 when what was the year that Mordridge came? 12, 2012. I swear it was like nine to ten years of terrible midfields because yeah, it was. When we lost <laughs> Makaleli and Cambiaso. Well, Chabi, Alonso, Kadira, Ozil was pretty good, though. That was decent. Chabi, Alonso, but then the Chabi, Alonso plus last was not good. Um, yeah. I guess I guess my point is, like, when Mordic and Cruz came, and, like, to, to me now we have Mordic and Cruz and Camavinga and Chuomeni and... Fede Valverde and, you know, in, in years past, even I was really happy because we had, so we had signed a young, talented Ceballos and uh, other people I'm forgetting, I'm sure, Kovacic. Kovacic. And I, I felt like I, I never took that for granted. I was like, this is, my, my standards were so low and I was so beaten down <laughs> from seeing all of these terrible midfielders we had signed. And maybe terrible is the, the harsh word, but like like now I have ingrained in my brain that Cruz, when he has the ball and he wants to switch it, it's just this symphony. It's It flows effortlessly without, he's not even thinking, it's mechanical. Like bring the ball down, accurate, perfectly weighted switch. Gago had a couple of switching opportunities in this game and it was like always short or like always like like he, he, could, he could just not pull it off. And so that's that's what I think about. Like you know, we're just now we've finished, we fixed that problem, but our recruiting in midfield and our decisions for for squad building there at that time were terrible. And I'm not saying Gaga was a bad signing because I think it's great to take a gamble on a talented young player like him. But he just I don't think he panned out the way we were hoping he would. And by the way, didn't she like? I felt yeah, like I, mean, I noticed the bounce when Guti came in. We we we, we gained a bounce in midfield. Some. Yeah. Some brain, some genius yeah, passing. I, yeah. Yeah. And it just, but even with like, it would be either Gago Schneider Guti or Gago Schneider Vandervaart. Like, that's not a midfield. Like, that that has no balance whatsoever. But to your point, it was almost a decade of that, of just like these midfields that really make no sense, even on paper. Like, yeah, it's a good collect, like individually, these are good players. And, you put them in the right spot and they'll do well, but you didn't put them in the right spot. You didn't put them in an environment to succeed. And so, yeah, of course it looks like a disaster. And of course we're scarred because it really was like, just, you think like there's nothing there. Like, of course that midfield gets overrun. Just saying it out loud. I could tell you that it's going to get overrun. And I didn't even have to watch the game to know that. 
Um, another thing that maybe pleasantly surprised me, because it's very interesting because you have the old guard at right back and the young guard at left back. So as you said, Ramos is not playing this game. You had Salgado playing at right back. I was actually pretty impressed with Salgado. You know, I don't have great memories of him in his older age, but uh, in this game, I thought he was pretty good. His dribbling was... He, he he kind of turned the clock back a little bit. I mean, at his peak, his dribbling was amazing. He could get past players and put in a good cross in. He was really good defensively. His offensive side of the game was really impressive at his peak. In this game, he had a couple moments where his dribbling was impressive. Um, and his one versus one defending versus Balenciaga was pretty good. Um, the the only thing I think he was kind of out of depth was that like, if there was like a 50-50 physical duel, I don't know if he had the the muscle to come out of it on the right side of it, but I was impressed given his age. And he wasn't even that old in this in this game, but he wasn't. He definitely wasn't the Salgado of like 2000, 2000 2001, 1999, etc. Yeah, I, this was. I think this was Latin, right? Um, he, yeah, he. Uh, to your point on the physical duels, like he got beat up on a couple of them. Just die, like he would put his body on the line for some of these headers and just collide and just get destroyed um but yeah he was good and that was pretty rare for him at this stage of his career but he was good in this one i just felt like even though he was good you could kind of tell that like he got away with it on almost every play you know what i mean like he he like you knew he did just enough and it was like killing his body it looked like he was killing his body to get through the 90 minutes but he did it and he just enough to like win all his duels and, and do well. Like he was probably done for two weeks after this and like needed an ice tub for <laughs> five days straight or something. Yeah. He was definitely icing, icing after this one. Uh, what about on the opposite flank thoughts on 20 year old Marcelo? I was surprised that how, um, he really didn't leave his position. He didn't really make any forays forward and um i think what often gets forgotten about this version of marcelo the really young like 18 19 20 21 heir to Mourinho coming prior to the afro growing out was how quick and fast he was like he was really fast when he was that that age and i felt like you didn't get to see much of it in this match uh maybe a few flashes but he was, um, I was surprised at like kind of how rash he was um, going into some challenges. He definitely shot in a red card in this game. And the commentators were like, Moy Roja, Moy Roja, like just kept saying after the tackle. And uh, he, he, and did you see like after, even after Athletic Bilbao's the penalty kick, like they ran over to Mar Marcelo, didn't give away the penalty kick, Heinze did. Um, but they ran over to Marcelo and like slapped his face and like got in his face. And so I don't know. I don't know. I just didn't remember Marcelo being kind of a guy that would get riled up or would kind of rile up the other team. But uh, that definitely was a factor in this man in this match. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really interesting to see the more raw version of him. And I think someone who maybe is not able to manage his emotions as the, the later version of Marcelo could. Uh, it's really super weird to see him with a buzzed head too. I feel like the it like the the maturation and transformation and the talent with the afro was like he went to another level with that thing. But this this version of him, I mean you could kind of see hints of future Marcelo in that he had a couple 
defensive gambles where he's just like lunging into a tackle and he gets burnt. But then there were a couple moments where he is able to drop his shoulder in the final third, get a good cross in. So there were a couple like even like he didn't venture forward much, but you could tell Athletic did not really have fun dealing with his dribbling ability even at that age. But there was definitely like to end the first half of this game, it got really heated and pretty violent. And I feel like it, it did revolve around Marcelo to an extent because uh, there was a bit of retaliation from him towards the end of the first half where, first of all, he gets decked. And they, they I forget which athletic com- player comes in at him. And then, like, a minute later, he goes in hard. And I think that's the challenge that you you, you said might have been a red card. And, and athletic players just come flying in to, like, to, to shout out Marcelo. There was definitely a, there was the end of the first half was quite violent. There was also a Pepe moment, a, a, a just a a vintage Pepe classic moment in the second half where he kicks the ball at one of the Athletic players who was on the ground, and then Fernando Llorente comes over, pushes Pepe with night nudge. Pepe goes flying. <laughs> it was uh, it was good that we were treated to a, a Pepe moment in a, in, a, in a random game in two thousand eight. Yeah, it was classic Pepe. It really was. I I was thinking to myself, oh, God, this is. I think yeah, this was definitely before the Casquero moment because that was at the end of the season. Um, so that was was that the same. That season? was like, yeah, that was the same season. That was the, in, the most infamous Pepe moment. Um, but maybe this was kind of like a foreshadowing of that because he just no need for it whatsoever. Athletic Bilbao players down on the ground and he just kicks the ball at his head while he's down at the ground. Ref had already blown the whistle, um, so not not a great image. But yeah, I think one person, uh, one player, wanted to talk to you about um, since we kind of had been raving about him earlier in the week. But in this match, oof, it was tough going. Was Raúl? Like I don't mm-hmm. think he he barely even touched the ball. He was. I thought he was probably the worst Real Madrid player on the pit. Am yeah. I being too harsh? No. No, I don't think so. I actually, one of the weird things that I was looking, because I knew he was getting subbed because I looked at the stat sheet um, in this game before I finished watching it, and I knew that he was getting subbed at the end, and I was actually curious to know how the Bernabeu would have reacted to a performance like this, and they did give him an ovation, probably because Riamja were winning. But um, So one of the things that struck me, as I said earlier in the podcast, that I'm more used to watching him at his peak be the one dropping deep for the link-up play and he was kind of invisible. He was the highest player up the pitch. Didn't get involved much. The couple of times he had the ball, didn't do much with it. I mean, he had one chance in the box, and I don't know what minute it was because we don't have the minutes on this broadcast, but he just pits this really, really tame shot into Iraiosa's arms. Uh, and he just didn't really have... And this is this is what, like, you know, Ohm and I were talking about this on the mailbag last week. He's like... This is because he joined the, the fandom in 2009. And he's like, this is what I thought Raul was. So that's why I never understood why everyone raved about him. Because like, I just thought he was this random guy who couldn't play football. <laughs> Mind you, Raul did have a couple good seasons at the end of his Real Madrid career. But um, you can kind of see him. He's just not the same. He's just not the same player at this stage. He's just he's not getting involved. He's not, not doing much. And he's a bit poor. Yeah, like I think he was good in 2006 and 2007, <clears throat> Capello year and the first Schuster year. But even then, to your point, like he was just different. I don't know how to put my 
like thumb on it, but he was different, like less agile almost. And um, I don't, yeah, I just he didn't have that same youthful exuberance, but yeah. he was so classy, like just such a classy finisher. And like you try, if he got put through one v one, like you knew it was going to be a goal. I never really worried when Raul was was put through or had to have a like had to make a finish because I always knew like especially I don't know I felt like I don't know if this is something um nostalgia or just kind of a feeling I have but it just felt like stri- strikers like Raul and Rude Van Isteroy, like no matter what it happens to certain situations I put my house on them finishing like I had zero doubt whatsoever and I don't know that I get that same feeling with strikers in today's generation and i don't know if that's just because i've watched so much more football now and um or i don't know i don't know what it is but like i just always felt like with certain types and like rude venice and raul were the perfect people like it got in a certain certain situation at zero doubt whatsoever that they would finish i mean it's it's possible that maybe as youth we were just more impressed and more conscious of these things. I mean, now obviously, if you put like yeah. Lewandowski's, the Hollands, and or Luis Suarez at his peak in front of goal, they're going to finish those chances. You know, um, back then I, I yeah. do remember like that era, whether it was Raúl or Vanisseroy or people like Henri Shevchenko, Batistuta, those guys were so lethal every time they had a chance. Hernan Crespo, those guys. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think Raúl with him though also he was the tenacity that he had as, as a younger player just didn't exist later on. Mm. It wasn't something, something was missing emotionally, mentally, everything like it was just, and it fed into it. And again, we talked extensively that he had marriage problems and stuff like this, and that may have affected it, but either way, uh, yeah, the, the tenacity that Iguain had in this game is something that Raul used to have, you know, earlier when he was younger. Um, What else did I want to talk about? I actually, I think there are there are other things I want to talk about, but the main talking points I, I thought we addressed. So, uh, what else did you want to hit on? Um, just kind of from the athletic Bilbao perspective and some of the trouble they gave us, um, I think it was kind of the players you would assume, after, who I named at the start of the broadcast, like who you would assume would give us trouble, did give us trouble. So. Mm-hmm. Fernando Llorente was just he was really awesome. difficult to deal with for both. Yeah, he was. He's just a tall, linky, powerful striker that just was a nightmare for Heinz and Pepe to try and mark. And I thought they overall did a pretty good job, but he was just a nuisance. He made himself a pest, and like inside the box, he was really difficult to deal with. Um, I think yesterday was just a fun technical player um, and had some nice combinations, but he was at fault for that third goal, the game-winning goal, because he kind of tried to dabble on the ball in the middle of the box. Gago got all over him and then just played through Iwain, who, again, really composed, finished to win, score the winner. Um, but yesterday was – I liked watching him, and I, I forgot about him as a player, so it was kind of cool to to see him again. And um, the uh, Echeverria, who we mentioned, like, he was great. I thought he was really, really good, good in this match. Uh, and Ola too. He was always one that I kind of secretly wanted Real Madrid to sign because, like we talked about, we had we kind of had a right back for a while, and obviously Sergio Ramos played there to kind of be a stop 
But I always liked Ariola, and he could have been a guy Real Madrid could have signed. And he definitely didn't change my mind in this match. I thought he was really, really good. He actually stepped up to take the penalty kick, which I was surprised about. Yeah, I I thought Llorente uh, was going to step up for that too. And, uh, you know, Echeverria is one of the classics, um, kind of like the Joaquin Munites kind of figure who just one club guy was so good in Spanish football for so long and uh, it was kind of cool to see him again. On Llorente, just a point, I, I always liked him. And I remember 2015, 2016 range. I, I don't remember when it was exactly, but I, there was it was a time on the site where I used to do written mailbags and write out like these massive articles where I, just, I don't really have the energy to do anymore. That was around 2015, 2016. I remember someone asked me, and I wrote about like I think I think there was a period where it, we could have justified signing him later in his career to be like the guy who could back up Benzema. Um, incoming like the veteran presence who might not mind who might not mind playing a whole lot and around that time he wasn't playing uh well for Juve he was he was starting a lot of games like 2013-2014 he scored 16 goals in 34 games for Juve in Serie A the next season he almost played he played about 500 less minutes but only scored seven goals and then after that 15-16 um he just didn't play at all. I don't know if that was due to injuries or, or whatnot. But 15-16, uh, he went to Sevilla, played 23 games, scored four goals. 16-17 was really interesting because he scored 15 goals for Swansea in the Premier League. But And then I think he signed for Tottenham after that. But um, it, he was a player anyways that I actually thought was a viable option as a bench player for us. But uh, it never worked out. Maybe Maybe for the best. I don't know. But... Uh, just something yeah. that I was reminded about watching him. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I forgot about that because he's linked with us. Um, and so, mm. yeah, I, I would have liked it as well. And I also think, like, kind of going back to the hindsight point, like, this was an example of a stopgap, really. Hindsight was a stopgap signing because Roberto Carlos had left and Marcelo wasn't quite ready yet. So we needed somebody. Um, and so hindsight was just brought for a couple of years the job did a good job and that was that um and so sometimes you need those types of signings and i honestly i know there's been a lot of discussion on like the rodrigo point and i've been thinking about it and part of me like i really really like rodrigo so i want to give him more responsibility i want to see him start and i don't want to like um hurt his development but part of me also thinks like Vinicius, we signed Eden Hazard for Vinicius. Like we've signed, even Rodrigo, you could argue, was brought in when we already had Vinicius. And like Isco could play at left wing. He was still playing at the time Vinicius was brought in. Like you at Real Madrid, you just overcome the competition if you're good enough. And like that doesn't stop us from signing players. And so that's why I'm kind of like thinking to myself, I still think you go after a guy like Serge Gnabry, especially if Asensio is going to leave um, and then let the best man win and let competition kind of take its course. And he's had to do the same thing. And he, who would have thought he would have overtaken Eden Hazard if, when you look back at the sign, whenever it was in 2019 for Eden Hazard, like who would have thought Nicias would be far and away the guy already at 21 years old, but that's the case. And so I think Rodrigo has to do the same. And I don't think Rodrigo's scared. Of it. So 
just kind of where my thinking has been lately on that subject. I do think there is truth to the idea that true greatness, it will rise to the top, regardless of the circumstance. You know, if you put Cristiano Ronaldo in any era, in any competition, he's going to be so great, he's going to transcend and come to the top, regardless of the competition. And that's what's going to happen if you have... But I think I do think there is a limit where you, like, you have too much depth and really development stalls. But like for the true greats, well, you know, they'll rise. The other quick thing, too, I was thinking is like we kind of found ourselves in a similar situation and Ronaldo left. They're all just like, no, we don't want to we don't want to hurt Asensio's development. We don't want to hurt Isco now getting playing time. Like, let's actually just give these guys playing time. In hindsight, I think we would have been better off just signing players and letting the best man win. So I kind of feel like we don't want to get into that situation again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, that with that season that uh, when Ronaldo left, I think there was some justification in in assuming that Bale and Asensio would would take some kind of mantle, which they didn't. Benzema did rise to the top. <laughs> Could say that for certainty. But what was our depth? I mean, beyond that, we didn't have much depth, and that was the other issue too. Like we didn't like if Asensio and Bale weren't going to rise, it's not like we had many other great options to help us. And that, I think that was also part of the problem. Yeah. Um, anything else? Um, did we talk about Robin at all? Oh, no, we didn't. Let's talk about Robin. I think he might be the last one in the lineup that we haven't talked about. And we didn't talk that much about Vandervaart, but you yeah. know, we can bundle them into, into one category. Yeah, uh, Robin. I thought I thought he was good in this game. Like, wasn't a massive standout. Uh, and in this season, he was probably up with Iguain, our our best player. Um, but he wasn't he wasn't a massive standout in this one. He did do kind of the typical Robin things. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that surprised me with his defensive work rate. Um, but other than that, I don't know. It wasn't. Wasn't a great, and maybe that's why we blessed him so late and felt like we talked about everything because I just didn't think there was that much from Robin. And even in his two years at Real Madrid, like he was really good. It just was so frustrating because everyone always said he was made of glass and he was always injured. And just like when it felt like he was getting into a rhythm, he would get injured. And um, that was just frustrating thing with his time at Real Madrid. He didn't really figure out the injuries until he got to Bayern Munich. He didn't, like, as obviously with, um, because of his injuries, he didn't amount to much at Real Madrid. But I do think if you look at his overall Real Madrid career, even in the time he played, I don't think he, he displayed that much efficiency, if you look at his numbers anyway. Um, I do think, like I've I've said this multiple times, that I think if you kept him instead of signing Kaka, that would have been pretty incredible to watch him on right on the right wing, Cristiano Ronaldo on the left wing. Given what we know now, he went to Bayern and basically stayed healthy, relatively healthy, and was incredible at Bayern after this. Um, so I would have liked to have seen that, but I think at this game, what you saw was he. You could see that his ceiling is that it's like he can just lay devastation to defensive lines, but in the run of the mill game, he can also be very inconsistent. Like he can, he, in this game, he struggled to get consistent touches and passes off and beat his man and just find open, open players. 
I mean, he had that one incredible pass to Iguain for the wrongly disallowed goal. But in La Liga, even when he was on the field and healthy, he didn't he didn't really show his Chelsea Chelsea form. I think there were definitely spurts where he was awesome. Um, but I don't know. I feel like I feel like if you rewatch a bunch of Real Madrid games in this era, I feel like you might run into this Robin uh, Robin type game often. Yeah, yeah. Anything on Vandervaart? I don't actually have much on him, to be honest. Not in this match. I just think he had the nice flick, like yeah, really nice assist to Iguain, which was that like flick, and that's kind of his Real Madrid career in a nutshell. Is like backheel flicks. He scored like one or two kind of cool backheel goals, and that was basically it. He really didn't. He really didn't produce much else, and I just felt like he was a repetitive signing. Like I felt like he was Wesley Schneider 2.0. Why did we need him? He didn't really fit at all, and um, it was it was just weird. And he, I don't know. He was he was a good player, like really talented player. But was he Real Madrid level? I don't think so. I think he was just a step below that. And he went to Spurs afterwards, which was kind of a weird dynamic but they had fun spurs to modric vandervaart uh bale and peter crouch and like he was awesome at spurs so that was kind of a cool cool thing that happened yeah with vandervaart i you know i remember again he was the big sign didn't he score like a bicycle kick or something early in his ramja career or some crazy it was the, goal. the back heel thing is the back heel goal. Like he yeah. scored a really nice like back heel goal. Yeah. I remember him scoring a free kick from a tough angle as well from distance from the left side. Um, in this particular game, I thought Guti picked the ball up way better in the 30 minutes he was on the field than Vandervaart did all game. More noticeable anyway. Um, I think we can wrap it here. This was fun. We have to do these historical segments more, honestly. Um, we should be doing them more this summer because there isn't much going on. So we'll keep us accountable, guys. Make sure because I know there is at least a couple guys who keep on saying, "Where are the historical segments? When's the next one?" Let us know which game you're watching. They really enjoy this, and quite frankly, I really enjoy it too because it's always fun to revisit and just brush up on our history. And yeah, and the yeah, past yeah. is is meant to be remembered. You know, it's meant to be um, revisited and discussed. You know. That's why we have football. We can't just ignore everything that happened before this. So it's it's good to do this, and it's good for some of the fans to learn about the past and for us to refresh ourselves as well. Uh, so we'll do it again. Maybe next week. Uh, why not? So, Matt, good choice for this game. And uh, everyone go and pledge to football, yeah. $20 a year is not much to keep it going. And uh, also for your own enjoyment. I mean, there's no limit on the amount of games you're allowed to watch. So go and just watch a bunch of Real Madrid's old games or a bunch of football classic games. It's, the classics are important for us to watch. Really important. Go watch the classics. Um, we'll be back, to, I think, tomorrow, actually. Mehdi Hassan and I are going to do something about uh, just some analytical stuff, Real Madrid-related stuff. And then Tuesday over on patreon.com slash Madrid, Matt and I will put out something. Thursday, again, on patreon.com slash Madrid, the mailbag is there with Lucas and I. He's coming back. And uh, again, this week, if you you weren't a patron, you missed a couple episodes exclusively that went up there as well. And also, if you're thinking about becoming a patron and you haven't until now and you're planning on going to Vegas and San Francisco, you get a patron discount code um, to those shows. If you So if you're going to do that, might as well just become a patron and get a discount code there as well. Matt, thank you, man. Appreciate you. 
We'll chat soon. Take care, buddy. Thanks, Ken. Take care. All right, before we wrap it up, we wanted to give a shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. They do so much to support the show and make it possible. And we wanted to give a specific shout out to our $10 plus patrons, because if you pledge $10 or more, not only do you get guaranteed responses to your questions, but you also get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Wei Pering, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tobias Arroyo Bacher, Tarek Goktas. Talib Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sushank Damala, Sujai Wani, Sumanchu Singh, Shivam Tiwari, Sherry Soriel, Sheikh Hatiri, Shamil, Shabaz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorzano, Samir Z, Said Mahad, Sai Mohan Sasil Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Udaifari, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicholas uh, Zapatero Zubiare, Nicholas Moller, Nick Ribeiro, Nelson Masariego, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Logan Stahl, Leon Stavernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Kohut, Frederick Antakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Pashar, Armin Gashi, Armando L., Anton Zwardenko, Anirud Singh, Alexi Seniseros, Al, Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun, Ramtin, Mahrur, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. Love you guys all. Take care and hala marid.